chapter 6 of the Gospel of Matthew, verses 16 through 18 this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that uh, your name would be praised throughout that many would come to know and hear of you. And Lord, as your people, we recognize that we have a responsibility in that. We're to shine for you. We're to be witnesses for you, lights for you. And we certainly want to be more effective at that. So I pray that you would teach us different ways that we can become stronger spiritually. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at what Jesus says to us in our text this morning, beginning in verse 16. He says, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites, with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, Jesus says, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But to your father, who is in the secret place, and your father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. So here in this first part of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is giving disciplines that he expects us to keep as his people. He's given us the expectations for charitable giving. He's giving us his expectations for praying and now here he speaks about this discipline called fasting now what exactly does it mean to fast you probably already know this but just to make sure the greek word that's translated fast in this passage literally translates no eat no muncho Fasting is the complete abstinence of food for a certain period of time. It's when you choose to deny yourself food for a certain period of time. Now, this does not include sleep time, by the way. I know we call our first meal of the day break fast, right? But fasting while asleep doesn't count. To fast is to abstain from food for a certain period of time. Now, you notice that Jesus expects this of us. In verse 16, he says, moreover, when you fast, not if. Verse 17, again, he says, when you fast, not if. 
So this is a Christian discipline that Christ expects of us in some fashion. Now, I think it's safe to say that this is probably the least practiced discipline by Christians. And I think it's probably misunderstood by a lot. But it is to be a discipline in our life. And so how does it apply to us as Christians? How should we do it? How long should we do it? When should we do it? Why should we do it? Well, it's kind of a confusing uh, topic, controversial topic. So I want to really look at the biblical data on fasting. And I think it's really important that we understand how God's people have practiced fasting within the biblical record. So in the Old Testament, according to the law of Moses... God commanded one fast day every year. Just one. And that was on the Day of Atonement. That was a day of solemn repentance. God required his people to fast on that day. That's the only day that God commanded his people to fast in the Old Testament. Now, in 586 B.C., the Babylonian Empire destroyed the southern kingdom of Judah. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. The walls around Jerusalem was destroyed. Many Jews were taken captive into Babylon. And in exile, the Jews instituted four more national annual fast days. In the fourth month, the fifth month, the seventh month... And the 10th month to commemorate different aspects of their tragic destruction by the Babylonian Empire. Now understand, God never commanded them to keep those fasts. They came up with them themselves. And it became a part of their tradition. The Jews also instituted a fast in commemoration of Purim based on the story out of Esther. So by my count, in the Old Testament, there were like five or six national annual fast days where everyone was commanded to fast on those days. Now in addition to that, when you read through the Old Testament, you will notice that there is spontaneous fasting. Sometimes by a group of people, sometimes by the whole nation, and sometimes by different individuals. And they did that for different reasons, which I want to get into in a few moments. In the New Testament, when Jesus came on the scene, Israel was practicing all of those feasts, those fasts, excuse me, that I just mentioned, But the religious leaders in the day of Jesus, the Pharisees, were very zealous. And these guys instituted two weekly fast days. So those guys would fast every Monday and every Thursday, every week. So there was a whole lot of fasting going on. When Jesus came on the scene. Now, take note of this. 
God only commanded directly one fast day. All the other fast days, the two weekly fast days, invented by men, which they would practice. Okay, did Jesus fast? He no doubt probably kept some of the national fasts, particularly on the Day of Atonement, growing up in a Jewish home. He fulfilled the law of Moses, as we know. But can you think of another time that Jesus fasted? Oh, yeah. Jesus did one of the most radical fasts ever. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. No food for 40 days and 40 nights. Right before he began his public ministry. Did Jesus fast during his public ministry? No. He did not fast regularly. He and his disciples did not fast. They didn't do the regular weekly fasting. And by the way, the disciples of John the Baptist took note of that, and they sort of took issue with Jesus over that. Do you remember? They fasted all the time, and they came to Jesus during his public ministry and said, Hey, we fast regularly, and the Pharisees fast regularly. Why don't you and your disciples fast more regularly? And you remember Jesus said, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? In other words, Jesus said, We don't fast because I'm here. And it's like a wedding celebration. And there's joy. Did Jesus banish fasting? No, because he goes on to say, but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. So Jesus again predicts fasting. But you can see from the biblical data that it's a little bit all over the map, isn't it? Did the early church fast? Yes, the early church did fast. The book of Acts records the early church fasting. But take note of this. Only three times. Three times in the entire book of Acts does it mention fasting. What about the New Testament? The rest of the New Testament. Paul wrote 13 letters, 14, if you believe like I do, that he also wrote the book of Hebrews. In those 14 letters, Paul mentions fasting three times. And never does he directly command us to fast or give us any specifics about it. The discipline of fasting is never mentioned, not even once, in John's letters, Peter's letters, Jude, or the book of Revelation. So what are we to make of that? Well, I think there's a couple things that we can say very confidently. In the New Testament age, there are no formal fast days that the church is commanded to keep. And you would have to admit that the 
discipline of fasting is presented in such a way that it's not meant to be this regular, frequent thing. It's not like praying. How often should you pray? Daily. How about reading your Bible? Daily. Charitable giving, regularly. Fasting seems to be something, and this is how I take it, that's meant for a very special moment in your life. Something that's key in your life. Now, I know a lot of Christians who fast regularly. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that if you're doing it for the, for the right reasons. But in my experience of fasting, it's always been at these key moments in my life, and I've done it, and it's been very beneficial. So what am I talking about by key moments? Well, again, you go back to the biblical record, and you sort of go through and, and collect why did God's people fast? In the formal times and in all the spontaneous ways. And here's what I found throughout the Bible. Fasting was practiced to humble oneself before the Lord in repentance for past sin. Fasting in the Bible is often connected with mourning. And repentance. Sin. That was the whole point of the Day of Atonement, by the way. The whole nation was called to fast in repentance, mourn over their sin. In the Old Testament, you'll see guys like Nehemiah calling all of the people together to fast over past sin. Ezra did the same thing. So that could be a very important aspect of fasting. Maybe you're a Christian and you've fallen away. You've fallen into sin. You're broken by it. You're mourning over it. You come back to the Lord. Maybe you fast. Lord, I'm coming back. I want to be renewed. I do think that sometimes churches, and our church has done it in the past, would call for a fast out of mourning and repentance for the sin of the nation. I think that's valid. I remember when many churches called for days of fasting and prayer in the days after September 11th. Do you remember that? And other different tragedies that this nation has been through. I think that's a legitimate time to call for a fast in repentance. It can be a very important thing for you to do. Fasting was also practiced when seeking the Lord for direction right on the cusp of something new. Perhaps a brand new enterprise. So Moses fasted at the top of Mount Sinai. Right before the law was given. They're about to go into something brand new. And as I already mentioned, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights right before he embarks on a public ministry. 
that would change the world. So maybe as a Christian, you're sitting right on this edge. You're about to dive into something brand new. A new ministry, a new job, anything. That might be a good time to fast. To seek the Lord on this brand new thing that's going to be happening in your life. I think a local church might call for that as well. You think of maybe a church when they're getting ready to do a brand new outreach that they've never done. Or maybe break ground on a new building or something like that. Appropriate. So you could fast when facing something brand new. Now I also saw as I study this throughout the Bible, that fasting was practiced when seeking the Lord in a big decision to make. In Acts chapter 13, the early church is meeting in Antioch, and they're getting ready to go on the very first missionary journey that will change the world. And it says in Acts 13 that the church at that time took time to fast. And in their praying and in their fasting, the Holy Spirit pointed out Paul and Barnabas to be the guys that would go out on that first journey. Later on in Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas have gone out. They've planted all these churches and they're trying to place elders in authority over these different local churches And that's the second time in the book of Acts where it mentions fasting. They fasted as they selected eldership for local churches. So I think that's a very appropriate thing. Maybe you're facing a big decision, my brother, my sister in Christ. You got a big decision to make. And maybe you want to take some time to seek the Lord. Don't think about anything physically or materialistically. Fast and look for direction. Same thing for local churches. I think a local church could be called upon to fast in a moment of big decision. Fasting was also practiced, as I sort of surveyed it through the scripture, when God's people were facing a challenge. Like a huge threat. You remember the story in Esther. Queen Esther finds out about the plot that Haman's made to destroy all of the Jews. And she's going to go into the king and talk to him about it. And literally, as the story went, she's about to risk her life. She could lose her life by doing this. She calls on Mordecai to call for a fast on her behalf. Get all the people fasting. Because I'm about to go into a situation where I'm risking my life. And the people of God did that. You remember the story in the Gospels where the disciples could not cast the demon out of that person. Jesus came down And said, listen, this one comes out by prayer and fasting. So it may be a challenge, a threat, 
Are you facing a difficult thing right now? Is there somebody that you have to deal with? Is there some tough thing that you're about to face? Brother, sister, fast. Seek the Lord on that. And then there are other times in the Bible where you see people just simply fasting in order to get closer to the Lord. Paul does talk about fastings that he went through. And it would seem that that was something that he did just to kind of rejuvenate his commitment, re-energize himself spiritually. And so I think fasting could, could really help from time to time in our lives just getting closer to the Lord. Maybe you're going through a real dry time in your Christian experience. Maybe you're, you just don't feel close to the Lord. Seek him in fasting, prayer and fasting. You know, there's something about when you deny yourself these, these uh, physical things, it heightens you spiritually. can really be a blessing. The Puritans would regularly fast to promote spiritual health and dependence. And they used to call for, and I love this, they used to call for soul-fattening fasting. I like that. You know, we could deny the stomach a little more. And fatten the soul. So I think these are all really wonderful uses for this discipline called fasting. Repentance. Something new. A decision. A threat. Or just wanting to pour in. Draw close to the Lord. I think there's a lot of benefit to that. And I've experienced a lot of benefit in fasting in my life over the years as a Christian. In many of those different occasions. So it's something for you to consider. In your walk as a Christian. Now, look at the very clear warning in our text about fasting. Jesus said, when you fast, don't do so to be seen by other people. Don't fast to draw attention to yourself, to sort of show everybody how spiritual you are. Jesus said, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites... With a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that may appear to men to be fasting. So we, we've already met the Pharisees and Sadducees a lot of times in this chapter. And, and these guys love their piety. They, they love the theater of religion. They love to be admired for all of their commitment. And they loved to be noticed fasting. They loved it. I found out that Mondays and Thursdays were the busiest days in the marketplace. And on those very days, these guys would walk into the marketplace. And Jesus 
busted them, saying they even went out of their ways to make themselves look more miserable than they actually were. So Jesus said they would put on a a pale face. And they would disfigure their face. They put ashes. Some say that they would apply little pasty white. And there they are. They're walking around in the marketplace. Look at me. I'm suffering. I'm fasting. And everybody go, wow, look at Rabbi so-and-so. Look how committed he is. And they loved it. They loved it. It was so childish. You know, when I was a kid and I was in Little League, the coolest thing, the coolest thing was a dirty uniform. If you had dirt on your uniform, man, you would slid into second base or home or you'd dove for a ground. You know what I'm talking about. So I got to admit to you something, and I'm not proud of this. But sometimes I would go behind the dugout and smear dirt all over. Sometimes I'd even apply a little water to my brow so it looked like I'd sweat a lot. And then, but it was ridiculous. I'm sorry. I repent for that. It was a terrible thing. That's what the Pharisees were doing with fasting. Imagine that. Imagine that. Look how spiritual I am. You know, the Pharisees had turned religion into the greatest show on earth. Literally, they had turned religion into the three-ring circus. In ring number one over here, charitable giving. And they'd go into that ring and blow their trumpet as they gave. Ring number two, you have prayer. And they'd go in and they'd do their ostentatious praying. And ring number three, fasting. And they were so smug. Thinking they were so spiritual. So much better than anyone else. Reminds me of the parable that Jesus told in Luke 18. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. And then he says, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I possess. And the guy thought he was so much better. And he was so pathetically wrong. Jesus said when you do religion like that, you get your reward. You know what your reward is? Nice job, Rabbi. That's what they're doing it for. That's the reward that they would get. Now, here's the right way to fast, Jesus said. When you fast, anoint your head, wash your face. I love this. Get up and brush your teeth. Comb your hair. Wash your face. Don't make it appear like you're fasting. Don't tell anyone. 
Be secret about it. Just do it between you and your heavenly father. And your heavenly father will reward you. Pharisaic piety is ostentatious, it's motivated by vanity, and it's rewarded by men. True Christian piety is secret. It's motivated by humility, and it's rewarded by God. Jesus says that the the Heavenly Father will reward you for, for the praying and the charitable giving and the fasting. So that tells me it's valid and there's reward there if you do it properly. God can reignite your soul through that thing. He can do things really wonderful in your life through that. Just make sure that you're doing it for him. You know, really, everything in Christianity comes down to audience. Who's your audience? As you go out there and you live your Christian life, who's your audience? Is it other people? Not good. Is it yourself? Are you your biggest fan? Look how good I am, God. Or is it for God? Make sure this is all for the Lord. Now, there's another verse that I want to share with you that's somewhat related to our topic this morning. It's a famous verse, and I'm just going to read it to you. It's out of Hebrews chapter 12. Listen carefully. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm challenging you in the area of fasting, and fasting is, you know, something that you would give up temporarily, but I'd like to also challenge you in some other areas. Maybe there are some things that you should be willing to give up permanently in your life as a Christian. So that wonderful passage in Hebrews 12 says that we're all on this race. God has put us in a race. As Christians, you've got a customized race to run for God. That's why you're here. God has a plan for you. And you should run to win. Now, I'm not much of a runner, but I do know that if you're going to run and you want to do well, you have to dress light. You don't run carrying luggage behind you. Or in snowshoes or in a big bulky coat. You remove things that hinder you. You run light. Christian, God has called you to run. And there are some things that you should lay aside. 
It says, lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares you. Now, that's something that you should absolutely do. And that should be something that is an, a permanent commitment to you. You know, any type of sin, a sexual sin, a substance abuse sin, greed, anger, the way you treat your husband or wife. These kinds of things can really trip you up in the race. Maybe you've carried with you for many years a besetting sin. It's like your little baby, you hold on to that one. I could trip you up. Lay it aside. Ask the Lord to deliver you from that. And do what you need to do. Be serious about that. You want to run. Run. It also says that we should be willing to lay aside the weights. Now, a weight may not be a sin. It could be something completely neutral. It might even be something that's good. But it's holding you back from running an effective race. Too much entertainment? Too much time wasted on social media? A hobby? A certain friendship in your life that isn't being a good influence on you? An activity, a sport? Listen, a lot of those things are good and and there's nothing wrong with being a part of these different things, but it can take over. It can distract you to the point where you're not really running anymore and you're wasting a lot of time. Is there something holding you back as you follow Christ? Give that to him. Lay it aside. By the way, a lot of these things that we want to hold on to and we think, oh, I just need this. I got when you lay it aside, God gives you so much better. So much better. Now, by the way, as you're making these decisions in your life, keep it private. Keep it secret. Don't run into church and tell all of your friends, I'm done with Facebook. I'm done. And so should you be if you want to be spiritual like me. Our family doesn't watch TV anymore. Why are you doing that? What's the benefit of that? To get the look look what look how much better I am. Keep it between you and your heavenly father. Serve him. Live for him. By the way, that says in Hebrews chapter 12 that we are to be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our soul. He's our point man. He's the one we keep our eye on. Nobody ever gave up more than Jesus for you. Think of what he did. left heaven, became man. It says he endured the cross, 
He bore our sins. The life of Jesus Christ was one constant, complete sacrifice. A pouring out of his life for us. So I think there should be some things that we'd be willing to give up. As we follow him. As we run that race. As we seek to make him known. Amen. Let's ask the Lord to help us in this. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. Lord, you've done so much for us. And Lord, I pray that we'd live our lives motivated by what you've done for us, not what we can do for you. Because you've done it all, Lord. You have shed your grace upon us. So, Lord, we want to live for you. We want to become spiritually healthy, stronger. Not to receive attention from anyone else, but just to become better. Better servants, better witnesses. Use our lives for your glory. With your head bowed, your eyes closed, maybe you've, you've come to church this morning and... Um, You just need to know how much Jesus has done for you. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus paid the price for you at the cross. Gave his whole life away for you. And you can have a new start. You can be saved. You, be, you can become a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. A child in his family. The Bible says you do that through faith. You reach out and you grab hold of Jesus for yourself. You ask him to be your Lord and Savior. You admit that you need him. And he'll save you and he'll change your life. He'll put you securely in his family. And he'll use your life in an amazing way. If you haven't received Christ and you'd like to, I'd like to lead you in a prayer right now. If that's you. Just in the quietness of your heart. From an honest cry in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I place my faith And my trust in you. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I thank you for dying on the cross for me. Wash away all my sins. Forgive me. Change me.
Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you. Take my life. Use it for your glory. Oh, in Jesus' name, amen.